welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it again. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So uh, so for the, the listeners who are not familiar with, with who you are and what your work is, how do you describe yourself? I'm a person of many interests. <laughs> so I am an author of nine books so far with three more in the works. I am a publisher, and I have about 30 authors that work with me right now, and I'm a mother of two. Wonderful. Okay. So let's – so you first went to school for psychology. What made you want to study that? <laughs> okay. It's all going to come out now. So <laughs> I – didn't have any money to go to college is what it came down to. And I didn't know what I want to do. I wasn't sure. I just knew I wanted to go to college. So I applied for an ROTC scholarship, a military scholarship. Mm -hmm. And I was a math major for three years, actually. And then I got a D in Calc 4. <laughs> so they decided I couldn't be a math major anymore. And and I looked at what classes I had left, and I went, hey, I've got to be a psych major and only finish with an extra half year and keep my scholarship. That's really how I became a psych major. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. By default. That's good. That's yes. Good. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's worked well for me, though. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. You good, use good. it for everything. That's true. That's what I always hear, that psychology comes in handy, well, because we deal with people on a daily basis, so that makes perfect sense. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so you were an ROTC. Um, what did you do then after you graduated? I went into the Air Force. I was a missile launch officer, which meant I sat down underground for 24 hours at a time waiting for the call. Wait, waiting I was for the, with the call from, from whom? Who, who, was, who was supposed it, to call you? Well, thankfully, nobody ever called me, but... Okay. In case something bad happened, yeah. I would be there to launch Minman 2s is what I worked on. Okay. Are Min those, missiles. I, I'm not familiar with any kind of missiles. Are those – so are these like oh, the, are these nuclear – that's okay. Nuclear weapons or just what, what – They. tell me more yes, about your, they're your inter, missiles. Intercontinental <laughs> ballistic missiles. Okay. So really big ones. Yes. All right. So you were underground waiting for that. Why did you choose to go to the into the Air Force versus uh, the Army or Navy? Oh, Air Force treats her people so much better. Oh, yeah? I, yeah, it's funny. And I've been – my last oh, six out of the last ten years, I was joint, which meant I worked with all the different services. Uh -huh. And pretty much all the services will admit the Air Force treats her people better. I think it's because we're the newest service. Hmm. And so the – Facilities are better. The housing's better. 
you know, when we go on temporary duty, we get better lodging. It's just one of those things. Yeah. Wow. Now I probably alien, alienated everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's okay though. So how long, okay, so you're working in the Air Force under, underground. How long were you, were you doing that role and, and what did you end up doing for the Air Force? Oh. I was there when they pulled the Miniman 2s off alert. So I actually only did missiles for a couple of years. Then I did protocol. I did public affairs for a little bit, which is like work in the newspaper, the base newspaper. Mm-hmm. Then protocol, which is taking care of visitors, distinguished visitors, taking them on tours, general officers and stuff, mm-hmm. ceremonies. Then I went to Korea. And I was a squadron section commander, which basically meant personnel, human resources, kind of things, taking care of records, people. That's where I met my husband. Okay. In the A-10 squadron there. Then, gosh, Las Vegas, protocol, more personnel stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That part's not all that exciting. I did meet a lot of really, really cool people when I was doing protocol. You know, the secretary of the... Secretary of Defense would come through, or Secretary of the Air Force, and we would take them on trips. A lot of foreign visitors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you want career, but in my last, you know, my last couple of assignments, I got to work NATO, and I was working reserve ish, issues for NATO. I got to okay. teach other countries how we do things. I was a commander down in Norfolk uh, of a joint unit. And my last assignment was at the Pentagon as a congressional liaison to so between the Secretary of the Air Force and Congress. Oh wow. That, that was painful, just saying. <laughs> why why was that painful? It's just oh so frustrating. Everything moves so slow. You mm-hmm. you know, you come up with these great ideas and you're like, Yes, I'm gonna get up there, I'm gonna make a change. And then you see that change doesn't really happen with any kind of speed at all. Oh, sure. It's very painful. That sounds like it'd be painful. So during this, I guess, when during this time did you develop your interest in writing? Then we go back to my first assignment. When I was Miss Launch Officer, I was one of the first females, and I had a stalker. I had somebody breaking into my house, messing with my phones. It was really creepy. Wow, yeah. Yeah, and my friends would say, that's such a great story. You need to write that down. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just how we are. Yeah. So I eventually wrote it down. It wasn't quite creepy enough. I had to kill off a few people. And okay. I turned that into my first book, The Obsession. And then I thought I was done. I'm like, I don't have anything. You know, you start with what you know. That's Mm -hmm. what I knew. I thought I was done. And people kept asking me for more Jackie Austin because that's the main character. They wanted to know more about her. I'm like, I don't have anything. Then I got mad at my husband and I killed him in the second book. (laughs) (laughs) So that's wind the clock. And that's when Jackie goes to Germany. She's working for the inspector general's office, Okay. which, which I did. She follows me through my assignments. And while she's there, there's a plane crash. It looks very similar to a scenario she wrote for an exercise, so she gets blamed for it mm-hmm. and has to figure out who did it to get OSI off her case. OSI is like NCIS. Okay, You've heard sure. of NCIS, right? Yes. Only well, for the Air Force. Yes, exactly. And well, only because of the TV show, but yes. Exactly. That's 
that's the reason most people know what NCIS is. Yeah. Oh, so that's how I got started with the first two. And then they started coming a little bit faster. Okay. Um, I tried a, a romance just because I wanted to try it. Mm-hmm. And it actually did really well, but I didn't, I didn't write it initially under my own name because I was still active duty Air Force and I just didn't want anybody working for me to read anything romantic that I wrote. <laughs> So, sure. I, re- I recent, uh, released it initially under a pseudonym, okay. and then, uh, and I won an award. I won a bronze award. I was very excited about that, but I didn't know what to do with that since it wasn't under my name. I'm getting ready to re-release it, and it's called Untimely Love. Ooh, okay. So what, what's should what's be out that about? It's not military at all. Okay. But ja- Jamie is. Living and working in Washington, D.C. And things are going great with her work life. She's having a good time. She's meeting people, moving up in the company, but not so much in her personal life. Mm-hmm. Then she meets Ben. And she has to decide whether to go for it or to wait and bide her time. I'm not going to tell you anymore. You'll have to read it. (laughs) But I'm re-releasing that, and it should be out within a month. Okay. Wonderful. And that'll be under my name this time. Okay. For real this time. That's good. For real. So you've you've written, I think, what's like nine nine books so far. And it it sounds like the first couple, when you were, I guess, getting your, your start, have a similar connection to your career. And then you kind of have verged off of that. What made you want to try different genres? Because you've got romance, mystery, uh, nonfiction, as well as a, a softball series, which I believe is for it's, it's written Middle more grade. for yeah for a younger younger audience. Mm-hmm. What made you want to jump around from different genres? I actually think it follows my personality. I I get bored easily, mm-hmm. so I like to try a lot of new things, try different things. And the Air Force worked wonderful for me for that reason because I could switch. Every time I move bases, I got a different job. I get to try something different. So I'm finding that's what's happening with my writing as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually working on the third Jackie Austin book, and then I'll be done with that, with the mysteries. I'm working on a cozy and I'm working on my first fantasy book, a dragon book. I'm not very far into that. I'm just working that. Sure. Could you you said did you say a cozy? Yeah, a cozy mystery. Oh, a cozy mystery. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was something something else. Okay. So you've got all those. <laughs> with so with when you were originally in the military traveling around, did you start a new book when you were in a new location, or did those have nothing to do with you moving around and changing jobs? It didn't really have anything to do okay. with me moving around. Okay, fair enough. So, what is what's your writing process like? Do you like do you have a set time of day where you go about writing your your books? Um, do you know how do you set up? I guess your day for success, and do you outline them ahead of time, or just what's your your basic look like? I think I break all the rules because they say that you should set down a you know, the same time every day and write. And I just don't. I, it doesn't fit my personality. I 
right when I have the time. Mm -hmm. So usually a weekend will be great if I have a getaway. If we're going on a car ride and my husband's driving, I will write in the car. I like to write at night rather than in the morning because I am not a morning person at all. I do not outline, not really. I kind of have an idea where I'm going when I start, but like Wind the Clock, the second Jackie Austin book, it totally ended differently than I expected. <laughs> it did. <laughs> I'm telling you, characters take on their own, you know, personality. They go their own way. When you're writing the the dialogue, mm -hmm. they say something and you go, yeah, that's totally them, but dang, that's not going to work for the ending. So then you have to change things. <laughs> oh, that's, that's interesting so you're the first person first writer i've chatted with who's either admitted this or, or realized this because a, a lot of the other writers i've chatted with have been more rigid with that so it's so with that do you i guess how do you track your your characters then when they start evolving and changing like this well i do I do have a word document that I put my descriptions of my characters in there. Okay. So little tidbits about them, I'll put it aside. You know, some people use note cards or they'll put it up on their wall or whatever. I've got two screens on my computer, so I like having my second one open and I just keep notes there, who they're related to and all that. It's depending on which books you're working on, it makes more of a difference. So my Lady Tiger series is written for like second through sixth grade. And that's the softball book that you're talking about. Okay. And keeping those characters straight is harder because they have to be straight across all the series. Sure. It's the same girls, but like only three are really in the forefront for each book and they change. Mm -hmm. So actually my younger daughter, Paige, who is 17, and she wrote one of the Lady Tiger books, uh, she helped me write all the descriptions for the kids. And I don't mean just what they look like, but it's also who's their best friend? What's their favorite ice cream? Do they have brothers and sisters? Are their parents married or divorced? You know, all those things. And we actually have them up. They have little softball cards on the website. Mm -hmm. So you can go in and read about my characters. <laughs> but Paige helped me organize all that. It was wonderful. Well, yeah. So in... Your process, when did you decide that you wanted to start your own publishing company? Right after I wrote the obsession, right after I finished it. Because, you know, this was a number of years ago and self-publishing wasn't quite as prevalent and it still had a little bit of a stigma to it. And I started doing this research on what I would need to do to get a publisher. Well, you have to get an agent. You have to do query letters and it might take six months to a year and then another year for the agent to pitch it to a publisher. And I'm just way too impatient for that. So I'm like, no, I can do this myself. You know, I'm a colonel. I can handle this. So I set up my own publishing company just with the thought that I would do my own. And I had editors and, you know, cover artists, people that did the work for me. I'm not an expert in any of those things. So I hired people within my publishing company to do that. And then people just started coming to me and asking for help and seeing that I could do it. And then I just started taking on more and more authors. 
until I finally retired from the Air Force and decided to do it full time. Okay. So for Blue Dragon Publishing, what services do you offer for authors? Well, I'm a hybrid publisher, and that is not the same as a Vanity Press, two totally different things. Okay. There's basically four different types of publishers. A Vanity Press is the one where you might as well just take it to Kinko's and print it yourself. I mean, it, they don't do anything for you except for print the book and get it to you. Okay. Then, of course, there's self-publishing, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that as long as you treat it as a business and go through the right steps and get an editor and don't try to do it all yourself. Mm-hmm. Then at the far end is the traditional, which is what I was describing with having to get an agent, trying to get one of the big ones in New York City where they pay for everything and the mm-hmm. And the author makes about 10%. Okay. So I'm a hybrid. So I'm in between self and traditional. And you do pay for services, but you make a lot more profit back in your royalties so that you make your money back on what you pay me. Okay. So I take care of everything, editing, formatting, ebooks, trying to uh, – getting the best price on a printer, mm-hmm. you know, getting it up on Amazon, all those Library of Congress – Copyright, you know, all the little things that you don't want to have to deal with. Gotcha. Great. And so when when so when an author comes to you, what's that? I guess how how does the submission process work? Do you do they just send you a, a manuscript? Do they come with you with an idea and say, I you know I want to write this book, but I haven't written it yet? Or what? When do do authors come to you in this process? It's pretty typical for most publishers that if it is a fiction book, the book has to be already finished. And if it's a nonfiction book, they can usually apply with an idea. Okay. And for me, I have a form on my website and it's limited with the space because I want people to be succinct and think about the answers before they just pour out their heart to me. And I need to know what their goals are because if they want to be rich and famous, I'm probably not the one to go with. I'll be straight up. <laughs> you know, but if the goal is because you're writing something, because you do talks a lot and you want to sell something in the back of the room, that's perfect for a hybrid or self-publishing. That's perfect. So I want to know what their goals are. So they fill out this form. And then if I'm interested, well, I answer it no matter what. But if I'm interested, I ask them to send me a chapter or three chapters so I can get a feel what the writing style is like. And then if I still like it, I'll ask for the whole thing and I will give them some ideas. If it's not something that I can take right now, mm-hmm. I might give them some ideas like, why don't you join a writer's group and get some feedback and share ideas with other writers? Those help you grow so much and then resubmit or try again. Or mm-hmm. if I see something very specific, like, hey, you never use pronouns, then I'll give them those helpful hints yeah. so they can work on it. Okay. And then, so so let's say that, you know, they've they've submitted something and, and you do like it. Do, are you, do you act as uh, like an editor first or do you have editors that you work with and then send them through the process? Um, everything is included in the price they pay me. So okay. sometimes I will... I read absolutely everything, mm-hmm. but then depending on my workload, sometimes I'll pass it off to a copy editor. Okay. 
to work with. I gotcha. And then in general, um, let's say from the you know the moment they submit a manuscript to you till when it's actually published, is there an average amount of time that it takes for this? Depending on how well, of course, what kind of book it is. But if we're right. just talking like a novel, sure, and they're pretty quick about uh, about getting back with me, mm-hmm. then I would say we could usually do it in three to four months. Oh, okay, that's really yeah. fast. It is much faster with a hybrid just because of volume. I mean, there's there's fewer that I handle at any one time, and I'm not trying to compete with – like I don't have two softball books that I have to deconflict when they come out. Oh, sure. Okay. So when you're when you're working with authors, how do you help them push past writer's block? I don't believe in writer's block. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well that's that's one way to approach it. Why so it's, why don't you why don't you leave in writer's block? I'm just in denial. I don't know. I don't have trouble with writer's block because I have so many ideas in my head. My problem is really making the time to write, to actually sitting down and doing it. Mm-hmm. But going back to talking to my writers, typically if it's a novel and they're coming to me, it's already done. So we're past the writer's block idea anyway. Right. Okay. They do what they do get frustrated with is it's their baby. And trust me, I get frustrated with this when I deal with my editor, you know, cause I can't edit my own books. Mm-hmm. So I give my stuff to an editor and it's hard to let go. It's easier when you're on your ninth book, but <laughs> it's harder at the beginning to let go. Cause you think, man, this is great. I did my best work. And then there's somebody going, yeah, but I don't quite understand this or that, or I think you should tweak this. And then people get their feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. And that makes it tough. That's why you really have to like your editor mm-hmm. or your agent, depending on which way you go with this, because mm-hmm. an agent will kind of give you the same kind of feedback. Sure. So do you have any tips on how to find a good editor Word of mouth really is probably the best. If you can find somebody that know that knows somebody that's already used them, okay. you can look on the internet, but you never know. Uh, so you always want to ask for referrals. Uh, there are different writing groups that you can join. Then you can share ideas amongst those other writers. Okay. Like I'm a member of Chesapeake Bay writers or James River writers. You know, there's a few different ones like that, but don't use Fiverr. <laughs> um, <laughs> not for editing or not for, for editing or for anything in general. Oh, no, no. There are definitely some good things that Fiverr's good for. <laughs> okay. Editing is just not one of them. Sure. Why Your English is teacher is not. Well, why is Fiverr not good for editing? Yeah, because. And actually, that kind of ties in with what I was going to say in your your school teacher should not be your editor, even if they're an English teacher, because they're not unless they're trained to be an editor. There are certain silly rules that they don't follow in high school. They don't even follow them in college. Hmm. Uh, there's little tricks and a general reader might not notice, but they would notice if it was wrong. They just wouldn't notice why Right. it was wrong. Okay. Uh, that's why your mother can't edit for you, not your sister, not your English teacher. As a matter of fact, I tell people it's great to have them read early on, mm-hmm. but they're not 
editors. And even when it comes to stories like novels, you need to get beta readers, which are people that don't have any skin in the game for you. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, they're going to give it to you straight because they're going to find plot holes that your somebody that is very close to you will not catch. Right. For example, my sister and my mother, they lived through the scary time with my stalker with me. Mm-hmm. So when they're reading my story, if I miss something, they just filled in the blanks because they already knew what happened. Does that make sense? Even though yeah. it wasn't written there, it they understood what I was saying. You right. need an outsider. Gotcha, gotcha. You, yeah, someone who's not associated with it so they can read it like somebody with a fresh pair of eyes. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So if you want to get more information about all the different types of publishing, you can go get my book, The Road to Publishing, and it will answer a lot of your questions. Excellent. Thank you. So tell me more about your involvement with the Williamsburg Book Festival. This is my second year as the president of the Williamsburg Book Festival. It is the 5th of October from 10 to 4 in Williamsburg, Virginia. I'm so excited. We've got over 40 authors coming in from all over to set up and sell their books, pitch their books, but it gives people the chance to talk to them, uh, writers or readers, both. We have free uh, panel discussions and talks going on throughout the day. One is a panel of women authors, a couple um, we have narrative nonfiction and historical fiction writers. And then our headliner is Catherine Locke out of Pennsylvania. And she is a young adult writer, which I don't think that they've had before for the Williamsburg Book Festival. And she is actually going to go in and talk to some of the high schools on the Friday before. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, wonderful. If So... I know you said you said it's October 5th, which is coming up. Um, mm-hmm. I'm guessing you've already accepted all the authors you're going to accept for this year's festival. Is that correct? We did. Thank you. Okay. We jury we jury our books, which means new authors have to actually submit a copy of a book so we can look at it. Okay. And we accept applications in May and the jury the books in June and then tell everybody by the end of June whether or not they're in. Okay. So somebody, I guess in theory, could uh, a new author could submit in May 2020. Is that correct? Correct. The next correct, month? and we would love that. Okay. And so where do you, where would somebody go to submit a book? And do you have to send uh, a hard copy, or could you also send an ebook copy? Not an ebook. It okay. needs to be a printed copy. And it's WilliamsburgBookFestival.org, and it has. The application process is on there, and it has the the mailing address to send books to. Okay, wonderful. And then, and what kind of genres do you accept at the festival? Pretty much anything. Okay. We'd like to have a wide variety. Now it is family friendly, so we take that into account. <laughs> but besides that, pretty much anything. Okay. Excellent. So, Don, with everything that you've done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you've ever received? Don't look back. When I was 
getting ready to separate from the military, retire, try to figure out what I wanted to do. You know, I was right on that edge. I wasn't sure what to do. And my boss said, whatever decision you make, just don't look back. Press ahead. Make the most of your life. And it's worked great. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh so, again, thank you so much, Don. This has been an absolute pleasure. I, I do appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. If the listeners would like to buy your books, see more about your writing, see more about what you're up to, where are the best places they can go for that? Blue-Dragon-Publishing.com and DonBrothertonAuthor.com. Excellent. I will and of course, I'll be at the book festival. And more again, the book festival. Okay, great. I'll put that too. So I'll put those three links in the show notes so people can click right through and hopefully some of the listeners can come in October and find you at the book festival. That'd be wonderful. Thank you. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much, Don. This is an absolute pleasure. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.